This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Necessary Roughness, brought to you by Southfield Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram. With 11-year NFL veteran, Big Ten Offensive Lineman of the Year, and captain of the National Championship Michigan Wolverines, John Jansen. And 10-year NFL veteran, two-time Pro Bowl offensive tackle, and Super Bowl champion with the Green Bay Packers, T.J. Lang. Now, here's John Jansen and T.J. Lang. All right, welcome back to another edition of Necessary Roughness. It's Lang and Jansen. John, before we get into some football talk, though, Memorial Weekend. A lot of people uh, like to head out of town. Mm -hmm. Long three, someday four-day weekend. I know you're a avid outdoorsman uh did you get a chance to get a get out of town this past weekend and get any fishing done i did not get any fishing done i was out of town i went uh, to the west side of the state um and it was we were in saugatuck douglas that area for a youth baseball tournament um did we rented a house had a chance to have a whole bunch of bonfires at night it was a beautiful weekend but um did not take the boat did not get out. That uh, That is actually hopefully going to happen this coming Saturday. We're going to head down to Lake Erie, get out on the water, um, and po- hopefully fill the uh, the live well with some walleye. You didn't even take a rod out there to the west side? No, we didn't. I, I didn't have a chance. I was. At, I wanted to. Trust me. You usually carry a shanty in your pickup truck in the winter. Anytime you see a pond, you're drilling holes. I do. You stop for and, thirty minutes. Go throw the go throw the, the line in. That's about all you need. But uh, as you know, being the father of uh, of some baseball players, when you have a baseball tournament. Uh, you know, one day is planned. You know that there's going to be a couple of games, uh, but then the next day you have no idea when those games are going to be scheduled. You're kind of flying by the seat of your pants. And we took the entire family. This was the first family vacation of all seven of us since before the pandemic. And obviously before the pandemic, it was only six. Um, you know, we had the addition of Teddy this past September. So it was the first opportunity and getting – 
six, seven individuals going in the same direction at the same time is uh, a, what we might call a bit of a challenge. <laughs> and we, we know how those tournaments go. It's more about the kids, team functions, team dinners, let yes. the kids go swim at the yeah. team hotel, whatever it is. I was actually on the west side, too, the northwest side, I guess. Uh, first time up at Arcadia. Uh, I got to tell you, man, I think I might have found a new – my new favorite spot in the state of Michigan. I've never been there before. Oh, uh, you're kind of driving through. You ever see like Jeepers Creepers where there's like just these random roads and random old yeah. houses? Like that's how it was for the last hour. Uh, my wife kept looking at me. We didn't have any service. <laughs> I'm like, we got to figure this out. And then all of a sudden you just come across this beautiful uh, clubhouse, golf course, Arcadia Bluffs. Um, it was it was unbelievable, man. I'll tell you what, very quiet up there, but just the views kind of being up on, overlooking Lake Michigan was was spectacular. I didn't play very good golf, but uh, it was an it was an unbelievable experience. I got to tell you, it was one of my new favorite spots. So, and you know, in the state of Michigan, right? It's I used to live up in Petoskey for a while, and there's a lot of spots up there where I would call my favorite spot. Uh, we did the same thing going to the west side uh, in regards to Saugatuck, great little town. Um, you know, every every time I go to a new place in Michigan, that is what you would call, like some people would call it up north. Even though the west side of the state is obviously not north, it is not your day-to-day operations. So you're getting away from your, you know, your regular living situation, you're on vacation, it it gives you that great up north feeling. Man. Fell in love with with it as well. And um, how'd you hit them? Not great. First day was uh, it was rough. I tell you, anytime you play a new course, especially one as challenging as uh, as they have up there, it was it was not good. But I can blame the rest of the bad golf probably on uh, late nights. You know, staying ah, up until you had yourself a couple of pops, did you? Past midnight, uh, playing cards. You know, getting up early for the tea time the next day. I swear, I I got up. I think it was Saturday or Sunday. I'm sitting on the on the driving range, and um, I mean, I had the shakes. Like I couldn't even hit the ball. <laughs> I just looked at my partner, and I was like, "This is gonna be a long day, buddy. <laughs> we'll figure this one out." But. Now the the challenge is, you went up there with a former hockey player. And yes. when you go and, 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 you know, I'm sure he wouldn't mind us sharing his name, Billy McCult. He was at Michigan the same time I was, uh, now an assistant coach at the University of Michigan. Hockey players, when you're talking about going drinking with them, is a completely different level. It's a different breed. It is. And I think Billy uh, broke it down for me best. You know, hockey players, you, you have 82 games, right? I mean, these guys, and I've drank with guys, you know, that play hockey during the season after a win, and then the next day they got to get up and go mm-hmm. play another game, and they just like dial themselves into being able to, like, I don't know if it's Perform a mental thing. Just conditions. you got to like recover, man. You have no other choice. In the NFL, you you got to, you know, Sunday night you go out drinking, you got till the next Sunday until you got to perform again. Right. So yeah. you and, got and a few at days the very to least recover until Wednesday before you got to right. put the, the helmet yeah. back on. Yeah, you've got a couple days to recover. Hockey, it's just like a sped up process. Well, I mean, I looked at him one night and I swear I'm, and I take pride. I mean, I'm not, you know. Uh, I, I wouldn't consider myself a heavy drinker, but, you know, I take pride in my ability and uh, in being able to hold, hold up. Your own. I'm looking at Billy, and I'm just like, the next day, Saturday morning, I mean, we stayed up super late Friday playing cards, and 
I was a wreck, and I looked at him, and he's got energy, and he's bouncing around, a little pep in his step. I'm just, I'm like, how do you do it, dude? Like, what is, what are you taking? You. I don't, I want whatever you're on, man. But you're right; those hockey guys are a different breed. But uh, switching over topics here, I, I had a question for you. That's why I don't want to lead off the show with. Um, I've been hearing some feedback, right? The last couple shows, I know. I've been talking about the lines and the optimism and talking about, hey, eight wins for me would be kind of the bar. Um, wouldn't be surprised if they get to nine, maybe ten. But then I kind of watched, uh, you know, over the past week, a lot of baseball. And there's another uh, there's another team in this town that I think a lot of people are excited about, you know, coming into the season, um, the Detroit Tigers. They've obviously uh, underperformed. I know as of today, Thursday, as recording, they've been on a nice little streak here the last four or five games. But is my optimism regarding the Detroit Lions, do you think in your mind, is it is it fair? Is it too much? Because I, I think about, and I don't want to turn this into a baseball conversation, but I think about, Ever, the expectations for the Tigers coming into this season, right? They got a couple new pieces. You got Torkelson coming up, the young guy. You just go sign Javi Baez. You got a couple other young guys that you're looking forward to make making that year two step, year three step that just haven't been done. And I, the, I, the fear in me, I guess, is that are we going to see this repeat with our football team, the same thing that we're kind of seeing with our baseball team right now? Well, okay, so the comparisons to me are – You've got Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson in regards to some fresh young talent. You've seen it come along. You're excited. They they they've made the big, uh, the big roster, and so far Spencer Torkelson has what you would somewhat expect from a rookie, shown flashes of brilliance, and in the last you know ten games, is batting a little bit above three hundred. Um, but overall, right now, I think he sits at uh, at 200, uh, following two performances of you know 0 for days, and you know Riley Green injured, you know have not yet seen him. Um, the strength of this team is their pitching staff, and the only opening you know day, uh, you know starter, um, not not the actual opening day starter, but on the you know, in the starting rotation, Tarek Skubal is the only guy that is left standing. Everybody else is, you know, has gone down to the minors on rehab stints. Casey Mize was just placed on the uh, the 60-day DL. And it's, you know, it's very reminiscent of what we saw from the Lions last year where there was some optimism regarding Dan Campbell, the new staff. You and I both know Dan very well. We know a lot of guys on the staff, former players, and we we believe that they're going to be able to develop that talent. But even the guys that were supposed to be the headliners were, you know, injured early. Romeo Aquara, um, you know, Frank Ragnow. You could go right down the list of guys that were supposed to be, you know, their big-time players. So you fast forward to this year, and we're going to talk about some of those guys that are coming back from injuries, their impact on the team in just a little bit. But I think a lot of people forget the 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 headline players that were supposed to have impact last year weren't even there. And you're left dealing with a roster that was short on talent to begin with, but was almost completely devoid of talent. Jeff Okuda. Everybody was excited about his second year. You know, we were underwhelmed in year one. 
and then in year two, tears his Achilles early on, and you don't get a chance to see him perform. So regarding the optimism, you're going. we know we're getting those players back, and you put on top of that the draft that they had um, with Aiden Hutchinson and Jamison Williams. We're excited about those players, but you and I also know they're rookies, much like Spencer Torkelson, Riley Green for the Tigers. There's going to be times where, hey, you can see why they were drafted you know, as high as they were. And hopefully they have more of those games than not. But you also know a 17-game season is a long season. Yeah. Rookies don't necessarily have 17 great games. We don't know, Jamison Williams, is he going to be available week one or is it week three, week four, week you know, eight or nine? You know, he, Listening to Brad Holmes... They're going to be probably overly cautious with him. But then you look and you say, okay, DJ Shark. They signed him to a one-year deal. And if he can regain his form of 2019 where he was a Pro Bowl receiver, that's a great addition. On the defense, you you look and you say, okay, Tracy Walker. They signed him to a long-term deal. Um, You know, it's, it's some of those players that, overperformed last year that they've that they brought back Charles Harris one of those guys that gives you optimism along with the players that are coming back off of injury to say okay instead of a three win team this could be a team that wins seven or eight games and having the experience we have if you're a team that is seven or eight wins now you look at that and say, well, there's always a couple of games that could go either way. And I think you're probably more like me. You look at this and you say, well, those games are going to go in my favor. In, 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 in this regards, it's going to go in the Lions' favor. So that bumps you up to eight or nine wins. There, those teams that are in that seven-win over-and-under category could be four or five-win teams could also be eight, nine, ten win teams now that there's 17 games. So I don't necessarily think you're overshooting it when you have the optimism of saying they're in the nine-win category. I'm not quite as optimistic. I am optimistic that they're going to be Right around eight. So I know that you know we're splitting hairs when we're talking about eight, nine right. wins. And that's what I wanted to ask you because I know you've asked me the last couple of weeks about you know my prediction and my bar. I don't think I've heard you necessarily say what your bar would be. And well, it's like you I just like said, to put you on, you on said, the hot seat. Right, but you said, you know, you said, <laughs> we're flipping the tables a little bit. You said, uh, you know, this could be a team that could win seven games, right? But in your mind – what would be that bar where anything less would be a disappointment? Eight wins. Eight wins. Um, anything I think less eight would wins. be. And so by putting them at eight wins, I'm still hedging my bet right. that they're not above 500. Yeah. So we're not that far off. Then. No, we're not at all. Yeah. Um, I'm very optimistic because, you know, and I know that there's a bunch of lists that come out of, you know, hey, where does your quarterback rank? And Jared Goff, and one of the lists, he ranked 30 out of 40 guys that, that they expect to see substantial time this year. Uh, you know, Arlovsky came out with a list, and I don't remember exactly what the list was. Guys that you, uh, you know, that, that will win you games, guys that you can win with, guys that, you know, you're going to, you can win in spite of. And I was disappointed that 
Jared Goff for Dan Orlovsky was not in the guys you can win with. Do I think you're going to go out there and win games because of Jared Goff? No. I don't yeah. think he falls in that category. But just look at his history. He did take a team to the Super Bowl, so you can clearly yeah, three years ago. win with Jared Goff. <laughs> He's only, what, 27? He'll be 28 by the time the season starts. Yeah. You can clearly win games with him, and we know that he looked better in the last six weeks of the season, whether that was familiarity with the receiving core, Amon Ross St. Brown came on. I mean, he didn't have a whole lot of weapons. TJ Hawkinson was not available for 17 games last year. DeAndre Swift was not available for 17 games last year. His offensive line that we think is a really good offensive line, and when you have Taylor Decker, who wasn't there at the start of the season, Frank Ragnow, who wasn't there a majority of the season, and you have Penny Sewell, who was a rookie last year, you get all of those guys back, you put Jared Goff behind it, and then you, you, you start putting all of these different pieces together, and there's a lot of ifs in there. I'm not... I'm not, you know, completely deranged when I when I say, you know, if you put all the pieces together, that's a giant if. If right. guys stay healthy, yeah, if DJ happen. Shark returns to his 2019 level, you know, there's a lot of ifs. Yeah, injuries happen every year, right? You never they know do. What's gonna happen. And I just I look at this roster, and I say, is it a roster that's going to win you a division? No, I don't think so. Um, is it a roster that's going to perform better you basically put it up against green bay and the one difference is as you know and you've stated over the last couple of weeks and been very consistent with quarterback even though (laughs) yeah even though you know aaron Rodgers may not have Devontae adams even though he's going to have a couple of of young unproven wide receivers He's still Aaron Rodgers, and he's one of those guys that I that can just raise the level of play yeah. of those around him. If you're a rookie receiver, there's a there's a few guys that if you're lucky enough to be drafted by those teams, Aaron Rodgers is one of them. Tom Brady is another, where they are going to put you in position to be successful. Now it's yeah. basically a matter of going out there, doing your job, and catching the ball, but. If you got Aaron Rodgers at your quarterback, you're always going to have a chance to win games and be productive as an offense. Yeah, I mean, and when I look at the, the Lions' offense, do I think it's a team that's going to win the division? No, but do I look at it and say, could they be better than the Chicago Bears? Certainly, and if they're not, there I've got major questions as to why they're not yeah. this year. Same thing with Minnesota. Do I think they could be better than Minnesota? I do, because Minnesota, one thing that I I, I do believe people are not giving enough weight to is a first-year head coach. Yeah. And and that's what you have in O'Connell at Minnesota. You have a first-year head coach who's never been a head coach in the NFL before. Yes, he has proven that he can be successful as a coordinator, but has not been the guy that has to be concerned about both sides of the ball. Right. Yeah, and first-year coaches don't tend to have extreme success, right? I think no. Matt LaFleur was uh, kind of the anomaly. I Aaron think Rogers. his first year he wins 13 games, right? But that was a team that was ready to win, that had won, you know, obviously consecutive division titles and made it to the playoffs. Uh, same thing with – was Kevin Stefanski in, in Cleveland? Did they – I'm 
correct me if I'm wrong, I think 2020 was his first season. Yeah, and, and, and they made it one, to the playoffs, right. which was kind of, okay, a little bit of anomaly, right? I mean, you don't really see that. You generally see with a new coach, uh, you know, it's going to take some time to build, right? It's a new, new system, new program, new players, new coaches, right? It just takes time. And I think uh, – Obviously, I, I, I'm I'm expecting much like you with Minnesota and Chicago with new regimes to not be that you know Cleveland Brown magical year or Green Bay Packer magical year just because they don't have the same pieces, right? But I think the one thing that you mentioned too that kind of scared me well, not really scared me, but gave me second thoughts on you know my prediction and my expectations of eight nine wins was you nailed it. Like Jared Goff's going to have to be that key ingredient right mm-hmm. I mean is he the guy that he can't just go out there and play average and then you know go win eight nine games not not in my mind I mean he's gonna have to take a major step and like when, when you mentioned you know other guys talking about him ESPN whatever list come out like nobody else is as optimistic as I think we are right here in Detroit. And obviously we got to see him a lot up, up a, a lot closer last year. And I, I think a lot of people felt better about the way he played in the second half of the season. I don't think anybody, you know, feels great that he's going to somehow turn his career around and be a, you know, potential, I don't know, MVP type player. I don't think anybody, anybody's no. expecting that, but he's going to be the guy that has to get it. He's, he's got to play at that consistent high level right and I know a lot of teams look you can't you, obviously if the quarterback goes down we saw what happened last year with uh Tim Boyle I mean it wasn't pretty David Blau we've seen him play before wasn't pretty but you could say that about any NFL team any you know starting quarterback yeah. goes down you're probably going to be screwed right I mean there's not many teams out there that have a a stud uh you know second string player unless you're a team that maybe has a rookie kind of in the waiting type thing um but you know Jared Goff for me is just got to be that he's got to be that that key ingredient he's got to be that glue he's got to be the one on that offense that holds these guys to a different standard right and and plays himself to a very high standard and for me just kind of gave me pause a little bit because like I said I mean I kind of reverted it back to you know watching baseball and I know baseball is completely different sport but you know Javi Baez comes over a lot of people are excited about right he's going through the worst stretch of his career did Mm -hmm. anybody expect that like no you know I mean so that kind of gave me pause like I hope this isn't like another just Detroit sports moment where we think we're finally going to be over the hump. We think we're going to be good. And then we're going to be disappointed again. Well, here is, here's my, my correlation is okay. Javi Baez came in and has struggled. Do we think, because you look at the course of his career, has this been the Javi Baez that has played for eight years? No. He's been a guy that, yeah, he's had some slumps, as as every hitter has ever had. Yeah, not like this. Though. This one has gone longer <laughs> than most, but do you believe that he'll eventually pull out of it? I do. Yeah. Because you could see that he cares about it. I think he's pressing too hard right now. And eventually, he gets a couple of hits. He'll get back into the rhythm of, of getting those hits, and he'll be productive. Jared Goff last year, he comes in, and... Was that the Jared Goff that we saw take the the Rams to the Super Bowl? Absolutely not. But it's a new city. It's a new stadium. It's new teammates, new system. And when he got comfortable under Dan Campbell calling plays, 
he looked a lot better. Now, did he look like a guy that was going to be, uh, you know, uh, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson? No. But he looked like, at the end of the season, a guy that you could go out there and win with. And so, okay, you got a guy that you think you can win with. And the Lions have positioned themselves basically in a – in in this will sound weird in a low lose situation because if they lose, they're going to be in position to take one of the top quarterbacks in next year's draft. Right. If they win, then you already have a quarterback that you can win with, and you don't have to spend a draft pick on them. the The Lions have gone and said, "Okay, if we can win with Jared Goff, what do we need to put around him for him to be successful?" an offensive line that can protect him so he has plenty of time, all right? Check that box. You've got some weapons behind him in terms of being able to hand the ball off in DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams. Check that box. You put some weapons down the field. Now, can Jared Goff get the ball as far downfield as he's going to need to for Jamison Williams? We'll find out. But he has that weapon to go with. DJ Shark a guy that has proven he can be successful in this league. In this league. Quintus Cephas comes back. Um, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown, I have confidence and trust in him that he's going to be a productive wide receiver. So you've got a better receiving core around him to be able to throw the ball to. And in doing that, you should also make TJ Hawkinson much more productive. So you've got weapons around him. Are they the ideal weapons, guys that you're going to go to the Super Bowl with? No, but enough to find out if Jared Goff is that guy or not. And if he's not, you're going to be in position to hopefully pick up the guy who is. Yeah. Well, T.J. Hawkinson, speaking of him, I I would really love to see him take a step when it comes to yak. You know, even the Lions, I think it was last week, posted a video of, uh, uh, you know, an OTA practice and Goff makes a good throw and – Hawk catches it and just immediately falls down. Right. And I'm just like, dude, you got to start Don't. running, man. You got to start making some plays because well, that's what's going to separate him. I mean, you talk about a guy going into, what, year four now. Um, they picked up his fifth picked year. Picked up the fifth-year option. I mean, this is kind of the year where teams decide if you want to start talking about long-term extension, right? Mm-hmm. If I was sitting in that position, if I was you know in charge right now, I need to see a little bit more out of TJ. Uh, and and he's a phenomenal player. I mean, the guy, he finds separation, he catches the ball, but the one aspect for him that I really want to see improve that separates, you know, the Travis Kelseys and the George Kittles is what they're able to do after the catch, right? What they're able to do when you talk about the yak, right? And getting those extra yards and making a guy miss. And Hawkinson, it's been kind of frustrating the last couple of years because you know, he'll be wide open, he'll make a catch, and he'll go to the ground. And it's like, dude, man, just keep running, right? You might have had another 20, 30 yards left on that thing. Like, you know, Coach McCarthy used to say, there's a lot of meat on that bone, buddy. Mm-hmm. Like, go get it, you yeah. know? Go make the best out of it. So for Hawkinson, I think this is obviously going to be a big year for him just to see how they fit, how he fits into their long-term um, you know, ideas, right? I mean, are you going to pay a guy that a ton of money, you know, talking 15, 16, 18 million that doesn't provide a lot for you after the catch? Probably not. So he's no. going to have to take a big step this year. So I always look at a guy and say, okay, well, I, I think I know what his potential is. And then I start asking some questions like, okay, for the last two years, um, you know, that Hawk has been here, who has been the number one target of this offense? Who's been the best weapon? that this offense has had, you know, last year of Stafford here in Detroit and the first year of Goff, who's been 
the number one weapon. Yeah, I mean, Hawkinson, right? Okay, I mean, so, you could make an argument that maybe Kenny Galladay, you know, back in 2020, I think. Yeah, but he but was hurt. He was hurt, you know. So Marvin Jones, I mean, but Hawkinson, you're right. I mean, he was pretty much the number one guy. So what happens when a defense identifies your number one guy? They're going to double him. They're going to try and take him away. Especially when you have nothing else on the outside to help. And now, if you do have some weapons on the outside, Amon Ross St. Brown, clearly a weapon. DJ Shark should be a weapon. Jamison Williams should be a weapon. Uh, and you start putting some of those guys in there. Uh, when you look at DeAndre Swift, again, another weapon out of the backfield to be able to throw the ball to. So that should mean instead of having to split a double team after a hawk catches the ball, should only have to break a tackle. Now, is he going to break that tackle every time? No. But more times than not, should he should one person bring him down immediately after the catch? No. Right. I expect his production to go up this year simply because he shouldn't always be the one that is a, attracting all the attention defensively for yeah. for opponents. Right. Yeah. Well, let's let's finish with this. So we got we got another good uh, quality Dan Campbell soundbite over the oh, weekend. Nothing too spicy, but I'm gonna I'm gonna read you this quote, and I want you to. Guess, you probably already know, but guess which position group he's talking about, okay? Here was Dan Campbell. Out of all these guys we have in that room, it's going to be a bloodbath in there. (laughs) There's a ton of experience. There's a ton of youth, ton of energy. On top of that, every one of those guys is competitive. I think, man, when we come out out with the finished product and the two or three that are left standing, we're going to be excited about those guys. I thought you were going to give me the floater. Uh, comment. We, no, we don't want to have any floaters. Uh, no turds. No floaters. Um, no turds. The bloodbath. Uh, which which position group is going to be an absolute bloodbath through training camp to the start of the season for competition? Well, since I already know the answer to this question, um, uh, it's, you looked it up. It's didn't you? well, I didn't look it up, but um, you know, it, there's not a lot of football news coming out these days. So <laughs> not on June second. Um, there's no, not much to talk about. When you're talking about the linebacker position. There is obviously, hey, you, you, you re-sign Alex Anzalone. He comes back for another year. You re-sign Jared Davis, who spent one year with the Jets, didn't have a productive season. He's back in Detroit. He's an, a former number one pick. Uh, you got Derek Barnes, who is a, you know, a guy that they traded up for last year. We saw throughout the season, and there's some promise there. Do I think he's going to be a guy that can cover running backs out of the backfield? No. He's going to be a, a linebacker inside that's going to be a plugging type of linebacker, a you know, stop-the-run type of guy. But then you add a Malcolm Rodriguez. Do I expect him to come in and start? No, but I expect him to be a guy that in a nickel package – maybe your your linebacker that's in there because he's a former defensive back. He's a guy that can go in there and can cover running backs out of the backfield, can do some things in pass coverage or in rushing the quarterback. A lot of different ways you can utilize his speed. But in terms of a bloodbath, one thing that I know about that linebacker position, I've never met a linebacker that isn't a great competitor. You can't play that position and not be a great competitor. There's no linebacker that comes in, especially guys that are scratching and clawing to stay in the NFL, that's going to look and say, well, if I can just take this guy down by his shoelaces, it'll be good enough. No, they're going to stick their head in there. And when you listen to Dan Campbell talk about this position group, partially in in terms of bloodbath, it's going to be a bloodbath because there's no separator. Who is the best player at that position? You don't know. They're right. all very similar 
in regards to their skill set, to their talent level. So it will be a bloodbath in regards to those guys trying to take their game to the next level to earn playing time. Derek Barnes, in his second year, has to be that guy that says, okay, I've, I've had my, my rookie lumps. I've learned the lessons that I'm supposed to learn. Now, is he going to go out there and, and perform perfectly? No, but he should be better than he was as a rookie. Alex Anzalone, scratching and clawing for every minute to stay at the NFL. Jared Davis. I mean, we all know that if this season isn't a good season for Jared Davis, maybe he bounces around from team to team for a year. Yeah. But his, the expiration chance. date is the, – the writing's on the wall. Yeah. So these guys are all trying to earn more time in the NFL. So it will be a bloodbath. Yeah. Which I, I know we're still far away away. We haven't seen any OTAs, training camp practices, or anything like that. But now that they kind of switched over to that four-three type of defense, attack-style defense, which which two or three do you expect to be left standing at the end out of that group of guys? Out of that and group one of guy, guys? I know they're excited about too. You know, we haven't really heard a ton about, but. You know they signed Chris Board uh, uh, from uh, Baltimore, I think, and you know he played. Uh, I don't, I don't know if he was a full time starter in Baltimore, but played a lot of, a lot of snaps for them on defense. And just kind of hearing the press clippings, hear some guys talk about him. I mean, he's a guy, he's a guy we don't know too much about, but I know that the coaches are pretty, pretty damn excited about. They are, and you know Chris Board is a, he's been a, a guy that. At Baltimore, came in and gave him some solid plays. As a but he was more free agent, right? Yeah, and and but he was more a special teams guy. Malcolm Rodriguez, probably along the same mold, probably going to come in and give you some snaps. But early on in his career, a special teams guy. But that's what I mean when it's going to be a bloodbath. Chris Board is going to be scratching and clawing for more time. I think when we start the season. You're going to see Alex Anzalone. You're going to see Derek Barnes. Time to put up or shut up. Uh, you're probably going to see Jared Davis in there. But it'll be interesting to see how they use Rodriguez and Board. It'll be interesting to see how they use Charles Harris. Now, is he a cover guy? No. He's, yeah. he's more of a rush guy. But going to a traditional 4-3 defense – a guy with his skill set, you could see them use him as that hybrid rush end linebacker type of individual. So it's going to be linebacker by committee, but those are probably the three guys, uh, Barnes, Anzalone, and Jared Davis, that I, I think start off the season. And TJ, before we wrap this up, and we talk, you, you asked me the question about is the optimism warranted? Um, are we, you know, possibly overshooting what we think this Lions team will be? I mentioned guys that are coming back from injury. Yeah. Who do you think of all the guys that were hurt last year will have the biggest return, be the provide the biggest impact for this Lions football team? Ugh. Well, I mean, I think the first player that comes to mind is probably Frank Ragnow for me. Only You're because offensive he missed so many games last year. But when you talk about having a bigger impact, like because look, I mean, when when even when Frank went down last year, 
Now, Evan Brown filled in nicely. He was he wasn't, you know, he wasn't Frank Ragnow. He wasn't no. a Pro Bowl type player, but you didn't see a dramatic drop off, right? They I think they kind of showcased the depth of their offensive line last year, especially with a lot of injuries that they had. Taylor mm-hmm. Decker missing some games, uh, Frank missing, you know, I think it was, you know, maybe the last 12 games or so. Yep. Um so him coming back is obviously going to give you a boost on the offense side of the ball, but for me the bigger impact player I think has got to be Romeo Aquara. I think especially when you think about uh, not only the changes that they've made to that defensive scheme and identity of, of wanting to play in the backfield and penetrate and disrupt instead of just kind of sitting at the line of scrimmage and reading, I think that fits Romeo's game a lot more. Um, but also with the players that they added to, to, to help him out. When you talk about Hutchinson going to be an every-down player, when you talk about uh, you know Josh Pascal hopefully going to come in and, and be a third-down type rush, interior rush type guy, when, the more – the more able bodies you add to a defensive line, the more the deeper your rotation is. Uh, a, you're going to stay, you know, a lot more fresh, not having to play every down. Um, but you're going to take a lot of attention off yourself, right? If Aiden yep. Hutchinson develops into a guy that becomes your premier pass rusher, that's going to open up a lot of one-on-one opportunities for Romeo Okwara. And he was the guy last year before he got hurt, and even going back two seasons, that was generating most of that attention from opposing offenses. If, if uh, Hutchinson can take that, uh, you know, that attention away um, and attract the double teams and if Pasco can at- attract the double teams on the interior, look, I think Julie, or I'm sorry, I think Romeo's that type of guy that's proven uh, you know, last year before he got hurt, and even in 2020, that he's gonna he's gonna make some plays. So I think he's he's definitely my player to watch to have the biggest impact uh, returning this season. Um, I'm not gonna disagree um, at all with Romeo Quara because I do think when you have Aleem McNeil inside, you've got Michael Brockers, you've got Aiden Hutchinson on the other side, you you throw in there, you know, uh, Josh Pascal. Um, hopefully, Levi Onzerike takes the next step. Um, in terms of being not necessarily an impact player, but a guy that you have to account yeah, for, disruptive, right? Yeah, you 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 do take those double teams away, you know, and and you've got to account for different guys at different times. Uh, Romeo Quara will greatly benefit from that. Yeah. The other position group that I think greatly benefits from added pass rush, and I'll throw you know Charles Harris in that pass rush as well to account for, is your secondary and. I know that a lot of people in Detroit have written off Jeff Okuda, but as a rookie, we learned, especially at the end of the year, that he was hampered a tremendous amount by uh, a hamstring injury. Last year, didn't really get to see him at all because of the Achilles. Do I expect him to come back and live up to a number three overall pick? I don't. That ship has sailed for me. But I do expect him to come back and be a very good corner in this league. Yeah. He's a guy that, entering his third year, much like we talked about TJ Hawkinson, they're going to have to decide next offseason, do we want to give him a fifth year? Yep. I don't necessarily think, even if he has a good year, that they're going to pick up his fifth-year option. He's going to have to have a monster year. Either way, I think he has a huge impact and will play much better because he's not going to have to be in coverage for five, six, seven seconds. That quarterback is going to be under pressure. He will play better. I mean, think about his time at Ohio State. Why why were a lot of people really high on Jeff Okuda? Chase Young. Chase Young. Nick Bosa. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they had guys that were were putting pressure on quarterbacks. Yeah. 
and they were throwing balls to defensive backs who did not have to cover more than two or three seconds. Yep. I think Jeff Okuda will flourish in that type of environment. So by creating better pass rush, Jeff Okuda being healthy, being motivated because he's a guy that has to produce, um, I think he could have the biggest impact of the guys that were hurt coming back. Yeah, and I certainly hope so. I mean, that would be kind of a sleeper pick for me. Um, just because, you know, his rookie year obviously was well-documented. I mean, injury plagued. And last year, you know, even when he did play, I mean, the one thing that kind of sticks out was, you know, Coach Aubrey Pleasant, you know, ripping Ripping him a new one on the sideline. And a lot of people look at that and they think, you know, automatically the guy stinks. He's not doing what he should. But uh, you're right. I mean, he's kind of in that same boat as maybe – you know, I'm not going to say TJ Hawkinson because TJ has proven that he's a really, really good player in this league already. But look, I mean, you could make an argument that it might be the same trajectory as, you know, a Jared Davis, a guy who's coming back trying to revive his career where, look, you're going into your third year. We know you're coming off an Achilles injury, which is pretty significant. Um, obviously, it's not as significant as it was 20 years ago, like some people still think it is. But, uh, you know, this is kind of your time to show – Either you're the guy or you're not, you know? And like you said, as a number three pick, I mean, this is the season where teams, you know, you start looking at it and saying, we either got something here or we don't, you know? And for Jeff, I think it's going to be maybe the most critical year for him outside of Jared Goff, right? I think Mm -hmm. obviously it's going to be a huge year for Jared Goff just to see if he's the guy for your future. But, uh, you know, Jeff Okuda's right up there just to see if he's going to be, you know, just kind of that type of, average type player if if he's going to take that next step and become um you know live up to that top pick live up to what everybody was saying about him out of college but you're right I think obviously the defensive changes are going to help not only the defensive linemen linebackers but hopefully benefit those defensive backs as well and there's going to be some good competition I mean Jerry Jacobs undrafted guy last year Mm -hmm. ends up getting hurt late in the season you know he's got a chance to come back and and be a productive player AJ Parker same guy he's going to be in the rotation there and then obviously with uh, Amani Oh, Rar, oh, I'm not even going to say it. Amani, Amani, Amani O. Oh, oh, that's as, what I call him. Amani O. Oh. He's got a chance to take the next step as well. But that's uh, it's going to be interesting. I got to tell you. I mean, I don't know how many times I'm going to change my mind from here to September. <laughs> we got <laughs> to go three more months of, of, uh, of talking myself to 10 wins, talking myself to six wins. I don't know what we're going to settle on by the time the season rolls around. But this time of year is always fun, right? We don't really get a lot coming out of OTAs, but. Um, you know, we're not that far off. I think I, I think as of yesterday, I think as we're of under June 1st, it's, a, it's about 100 days away, man. And this time, you know, especially as a player, it flies by. The season's going to be upon us before we know it. It will be. And uh, we'll continue to bring you all your Lions news uh, and anything that happens this offseason. There's still some free agents out there. There's still some uh, question marks on this Lions team. And and as we have heard from Dan Campbell, and we will continue to hear from Dan Campbell, there's always something good coming out of Allen Park. We'll bring you all that information, break it down as we can here on Necessary Roughness.